So I've been given the awesome privilege this morning of uh, finishing up the book of First Peter. We're in First Peter 5 this morning. And uh, up until this point, the Apostle Peter has spent a good deal of time talking about positions of authority. If you go throughout the uh, epistle that the Apostle Peter writes, he talks a lot about positions of authority in this world. Uh, For example, he talks about positions of authority in government. He also talks about positions of authority in the workplace. He also talks about positions of authority in the home. And so uh, he talks about Christians' role and responsibility uh, in regards to these issues as it relates to these issues uh, as far as the topic of authority is concerned. And so it only seems appropriate that he ends this letter talking about positions of authority in the church. That's what we're looking at today as we study 1 Peter chapter 5. We're looking at positions of authority in the church. Now it's very easy for us to look at the world today and say, man, there is some twisted stuff going on. This world is dark, this world is lost, and man, uh, this is a world that we're living in in the year 2020 that needs Jesus more than ever. Now this may be true, but may it never be said of us by the Lord that we were part of the problem because we were negligent in our responsibilities to be the leaders that God has called us to be. We have an awesome responsibility to step up to the plate and to be salt and to be light and to be witnesses in a world that is looking for solutions in all the wrong places, man. Solutions can only be found in the Lord, in Him alone, and in His kingdom. And so we need to, as leaders in the church, step up to the plate and be those Christians that God has called us to be. Now, God has given to us very clear-cut directions in his word about how church leadership is supposed to act and behave. And in my opinion, 1 Peter chapter 5 is the best place to be in regards to these issues, man. If you want to know how to be a good leader in the kingdom of God, how to be... uh, the best Christian that you can be as it relates to leading people to Christ, leading people in Christ, 1 Peter chapter 5 is the best place to be. And so as we live out these last days, we better be sure that the kingdom of God is in order and we better make sure that we're leading the Lord's way. And that's exactly what we're looking at today in 1 Peter chapter 5, how to leave the Lord's way. I didn't put up a title to a message, but if I was going to put up a title, that would be the title, man. How to lead the Lord's way. That's what we're looking at today. Now before we get into this, I have to point out that even though Peter addresses elders of the church specifically, the truth remains that if you claim the name of Christ, you are called to leadership in some way, shape, fashion, or form. Therefore, the principles that we are looking at are very much applicable to you and to me. So don't tune out, don't zone out, don't space out if you're not a deacon in the church, if you're not a pastor of a ministry. All these principles that we're looking at today are completely applicable to anybody and everybody who claims the name of Jesus Christ. If we want to be disciple makers, if we want to lead people to the Lord, if we want to lead people in the Lord, we would do well to extract the principles that Peter lays out for us in 1 Peter chapter 5. This is important stuff if you're a Christian because if you're the husband of a wife, if you're the mother of a child, if you're a deacon, if you're a pastor, or even if you're a disciple maker in the workplace, guess what? You're called to leadership in some way, shape, fashion, or form. 
Christians are not supposed to sit on the sidelines and say, well, you know, he's the pastor, he's the minister, and so he's got to do all the work. It's not the way that it should be. When Jesus gave the Great Commission to his disciples, man, the Great Commission is what? You go out to the ends of the earth and you make disciples of all the nations, of all people groups. That is an exhortation that is applicable to any and every Christian that claims the name of Christ. And so we have to take that responsibility seriously. So even if you're not a pastor, even if you're not a clergyman, so to speak, don't tune out, don't zone out, don't space out, because these are things that are going to be applicable for you. And so we would do well to listen to what Peter has to say in relation to roles of leadership in the church. Because they're principles, man, that we all have to adopt. They're principles that we have to extract. And they're principles that we have to take with us into the world so that we can be effective in leading people to Christ. So that's where we are today. That's what we're looking at today. First Peter chapter 5. This is a fantastic portion of scripture. I hope and pray that I can do it justice. 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 1. The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Now before I, gotta, I go any further, obviously I've already pointed out to you that Peter is addressing elders in the church. Now to put it in modern vernacular, we would say leadership in the church. These are those who are spiritually mature and experienced and have been given a position of authority in God's kingdom. But I want you to notice, this is very important and it's kind of subtle, but this is very important. I want you to notice how Peter refers to himself. He refers to himself as a fellow elder. That's very important because he doesn't introduce himself as Peter. Archbishop, Grand Duke, His Holiness, the Reverend, His Majesty from on high. He doesn't introduce himself that way. He introduces himself as a fellow elder. He refers to himself as a fellow elder. In other words, he's a co-struggler. He's a brother in the Lord. He's part of the family of God. He doesn't have this attitude of superiority. He's not floating around in the holy hemisphere looking down on all the common folk. He says, I'm a fellow elder, I'm a co-struggler, I'm a co-laborer, I'm a sinner saved by grace, and I live on the earth with the rest of the sinners saved by grace. And so he refers to himself as a fellow elder. In other words, he recognizes the authority that God gives him. He is doing that here. He recognizes that God gives him authority. Uh, but he's also saying, listen, man, I'm just like you. I'm no different than you. I'm no better than you. And so Peter doesn't have this attitude of superiority that people in positions of authority sometimes adopt. He doesn't look down on people. He doesn't think that they're peasants. He's not walking around with a uh, Pharisee-like mentality, thinking that he's holier than thou. He's a fellow elder. He's a co-struggler. He's a co-laborer. He's a sinner saved by grace. Now, I believe that this is a very important principle if you want to be an effective leader in the kingdom of God for us to wrap our minds around. Very quickly, before I go any further, look at what Hebrews chapter 5 verses 1 through 4 say. It says, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also subject to weakness. 
Because of this, he is required, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer sacrifices for sins. And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. So what is this saying? Very simply, the Old Testament high priest was able to offer up sacrifices on behalf of the sins of the people because he was aware of his own weaknesses. He was able to say, you know what, man, this sacrifice isn't just for the common folk that are sitting in the congregation that should get on my level. He was very aware of his humanness. He was very aware of his own shortcomings. He was very aware of his own need for forgiveness and his own need for grace and his own need for mercy. And so the Old Testament high priest was able to offer up sacrifices on behalf of the people, but also for himself. And I think that there's a very important principle here that we should extract if we want to be leaders in the kingdom of God. Don't develop an attitude of superiority. If you forget where you came from and you forget who you are and you forget that, man, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, just like anybody else and everybody else, and I'm not this super spiritual, super holy giant floating around in the hemisphere, if you start to get this attitude like you're better than, your ministry is going to be ineffective because people are going to look at you and say, man, this guy's a hypocrite because they'll be able to see your sin. And they'll be able to see my sin, and they'll be able to see our sin. And so we have to recognize who we are, man. We're sinners saved by grace. We're beset with weaknesses. And I'm able to share with others about the grace and mercy of God because I'm able to recognize it in my own life. If I start to think I don't need God's grace and I don't need God's mercy because I developed this attitude like I'm better than everybody else, the whole thing falls apart. And so the first principle I think we could extract if we want to be effective leaders in the church is we got to be honest with ourselves about who we are. Man, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm a co-struggler. I'm a co-laborer. I'm a brother in the Lord, or I'm a sister in the Lord, or I'm part of the family of God. I'm no better than you, and we're all in this fight together. It's the first principle I think is very important if you want to be an effective leader in God's kingdom. Verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. So secondly, Peter says, listen, man, if you want to be effective in your ministry, realize this, the flock of God is the flock of God. It's not your flock and it's not your sheep. You should treat it like it is, absolutely, because the Lord has entrusted it to you. But at the end of the day, it's not my flock and it's not my sheep. It belongs to the Lord. And I should treat the flock and I should treat the sheep like it belongs to the Lord because in fact and indeed it does. And when I realize that tremendous responsibility that God has bestowed upon me and realizing that it's not my sheep to do with as I will and as I please, but God has entrusted the sheep or God has entrusted the flock to my care and I should shepherd them the same way that the Lord would have me to shepherd them, that is an important principle, man. Because if I start to think that I'm the shepherd and I'm the overlord and I'm the ruler, then guess what? I'm gonna treat the sheep the way that I think that I should treat the sheep and not the way that the Lord would treat the sheep. And so therefore, I need to be reminded, we need to be reminded, you need to be reminded that, listen, man, it's never my flock. It's never my sheep. It's just someone that the Lord has entrusted to me, and I'm supposed to lead them the way that the Lord would have me to lead them. Now, this is a very sobering idea for me because Hebrews chapter 13, 
Verse 17 says, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Any sheep or any flock that the Lord entrusts to you, you're going to answer to the Lord for one day. I'm going to answer to the Lord for one day. I'm going to stand before the Lord and he's going to say, Joe, I put that person in your life. I gave you that sheep or I put that flock under your care. And what did you do with it? And I'm going to have to give an account and I'm going to have to give an answer. May it never be that I stand before the Lord having to explain why I beat up his sheep and I smacked around his sheep and I belittled his sheep. We should realize and recognize that the flock of God is the flock of God. And Lord, if you've entrusted a flock or if you've entrusted a sheep or you've just entrusted somebody that just became a Christian and needs to be discipled to my care, I'm going to answer for it one day as far as to how I treated them and what I did with them and how faithful I was in my service to them and teaching them about your goodness and your grace and your mercy. So the second principle, if you want to be effective in your ministry, is realize, man, it ain't your flock. It belongs to the Lord, and you need to treat it accordingly. Verse 3, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So thirdly, Peter says, if you want to be effective in your ministry, lead by example. Dictatorship says go. But real leadership says, let's go. Real leaders in God's kingdom should be leading from up front. They should be on the front lines, not driving from behind with a whip. Go, you heathen. You can't do it like that. You got to lead by example. This, by the way, is ultimately what Jesus Christ did. The King of kings and the Lord of lords, man. He was in paradise. He descended from his throne. And he clothed himself with humanity, if you will. And he suffered tremendously and terribly. All kinds of persecution, physical pain, emotional pain, spiritual pain. The Lord subjected himself to this sin-cursed world on behalf of you and of me. And so God's not asking us to do anything that he's not willing to do himself. That he hasn't proven that he's not willing to do himself. Jesus is our ultimate example, and if he was willing to suffer for our sakes, and he was perfect, we need to be willing to suffer for the sake of others. And so Peter says, here's the third principle, man, if you want to be a good leader in God's kingdom, don't drive from the rear, get on the front lines and lead from up front. Be an example. Now I've got to say this. There are people sometimes in the Christian community who will see a problem in a particular church. And you know what they'll do? They'll secretly slide up to the tithe box and they'll drop a shady note in the tithe box saying, this church needs to da-da-da-da-da. You guys have to da-da-da-da-da, fill in the blank. Not realizing that the reason that the Lord exposed whatever problem in that church was going on was so that they could step up, be a spirit-filled, mature Christian, and fill the gap and say, you know what, Lord, I see that there's a need in this area, in this church. I'm not going to slide up to the tithe box and leave a shady anonymous letter in there and tell the pastors how they can do it better. They've already got their hands full. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to be a mature, spirit-filled Christian, and I'm going to lead by example, and I'm going to go to Pastor John, and I'm going to say, man, Pastor John, I see that this is something that the church could use, and God has put it on my heart. He's made it visible to me, and he's spoken to me 
that this is an issue and I want to help any way that I can. Is there anything I can do to get involved? That's what the mature spirit-filled Christian does, man. He doesn't drive from the rear. He doesn't whip other people or other sheep. He steps up to the plate. He or she steps up to the plate and they close the gap and they lead by example and they do it the way that the Lord modeled it. So if you suppose yourself, if I suppose myself, if we suppose ourselves to be mature, spirit-filled Christians, we got to lead by example, we got to get off the bench, and we got to get in the game, man. We're not called to be cheerleaders, we're called to be football players. So we got to get off the bench and get in the game. The third principle, Peter says, if you want to be effective in ministry, you lead by example. Verse 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the, ground, the crown of glory that does not fade away. Fourthly, Peter says, if you want to be effective in your ministry, know that eternal rewards are awaiting you. It's important that Christians understand this because it's very easy for us to get tired and discouraged and frustrated if we are not careful. Oh Lord, what's it all for? I'm not seeing any fruit. I've been doing this for X amount of years and it's very easy for us to get tired and wore out and sometimes even burn out if we're being honest with ourselves if we're not careful. And so Peter says, listen man, fourthly, if you want to be effective in your ministry, know that there are eternal rewards awaiting you. Your work doesn't go unnoticed. The Lord sees everything and those things which you do in secret will be brought to the light, not just the bad but the good. And you'll stand before the Lord one day and there's eternal blessing and eternal rewards awaiting you. Now, we don't know much about these crowns specifically. Five of them are mentioned throughout the course of the scripture and their rewards for different things that believers do. But the principle and the point is there, is that your work doesn't go unnoticed, your labor is not in vain, the Lord sees and knows everything and there is coming a day, man, don't give up, don't get tired, don't get frustrated, don't throw in the towel, man. There's coming a day where you will be rewarded eternally by the Lord himself. He's gonna say, man, well done, good and faithful servant. You showed up and you got in the game and you didn't sit on the sidelines and you did what you needed to do. And Peter says, man, if you wanna be an effective leader and you wanna avoid growing weary in doing good, so to speak, he says, know this, your labor's not in vain, you're gonna be rewarded openly for your times of faithfulness. Verse five. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Still all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. So fifthly, Peter says, if you want to do ministry effectively, realize that you too are under authority. You may be in authority, but you're also under authority. Be like the Roman centurion who came to Jesus and said those exact words, Lord, I'm a man of authority. I tell this guy to come and I tell that guy to go and he does it, but I'm also a man under authority. Fifthly, Peter says, if you wanna do ministry effectively, realize that you too are under authority. Why is that important? It's important because there's always someone wiser 
And there's always someone with more experience than you. And there's always someone that you can learn from. And so if you want to be able to pour into others, you have to be one that's willing to be poured into. It is absolutely true, we don't think about this a lot of the time, but it's absolutely true that every elder, every pastor, every minister has an elder that's over them. Every single person who's in church leadership, who's doing it the way that it's supposed to be done, has a person that they submit to. I'm the assistant pastor of U-Turn for Christ. If guys in phase two, that's you Brad, get out of line, and I tell him, Brad, you need to take this shovel and you need to go dig you a hole. Guess what Brad's going to do? Brad's going to take him a shovel and he's going to go dig him a hole. But you know what the flip side of the coin is? The flip side of the coin is if Pastor Steve comes to me and he says, Joe, you're out of line. You're tripping. You're off the chain right now. You need to get a shovel and go dig a hole. Guess what I got to do, man? I got to take a shovel and I got to go dig a hole. But it gets even better than that. This is my favorite part. If Pastor John comes to Pastor Steve and says, Steezy, you're out of line, man, and you're tripping, and you're off the chain right now, and you need to take a shovel, and you need to go back there and do some church discipline and give a hole. Guess what Pastor Steve has to do, man? He's got to take that shovel, and he's got to go dig a hole. But it gets even better than that. If Miss Heidi comes to Pastor John, yeah, I know, she's, if she's watching this, she's like, uh-huh. If Miss Heidi goes to Pastor John and she says, honey, you're out of line, you need to go dig you a hole, guess what Pastor John has to do? He's gotta go dig him a hole. You understand the point, and it's kinda of a comical thing, but you understand the point. If you wanna be effective in ministry, you can't be a lone ranger leader. You have to be one who's in authority, but you have to be one who's under authority, because people have more wisdom than you, people have more experience than you, there are people that have been around longer than you. You have to be one who's willing to be poured into. This goes hand in hand, by the way, Peter is talking here about having humility. He's linking these ideas together because in order for me to be one who's submitted to authority, I've gotta have a humble spirit. It's the prideful and arrogant person who says, no, I'm not doing that, I ain't gotta listen to nobody. I got the Holy Spirit and I'm gonna go take my toys and play in the corner and ain't nobody gonna tell me nothing. It's not the way that it's supposed to be done, man. So fifthly, Peter says, if you want to do ministry effectively, realize that you're under authority. Verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. So sixthly, Peter says, if you want to do ministry effectively, remember that you're in a spiritual war yourself. Don't forget that you got your own war going on, man. You're in a spiritual war yourself. There's an enemy that's after you. Maybe it's not the devil himself going after you. More than likely, he's going after people like Billy Graham and Rabbi Zacharias, bigwig characters. But he's got minions that he sends out after you. There's demonic oppression. There's spiritual warfare. There's spiritual stuff going on. There's a war that's being waged. And so Peter says, if you want to do a fit, uh, ministry effectively, remember that you're in a spiritual war. Now, it's interesting to me because the devil is depicted as having many different forms in the scripture. Sometimes he's seen as a roaring lion bent on terrorizing people through persecution as he's depicted here. Other times he's seen as the snake that slides up on you and attempts to lure you into corruption with seductive words. 
Sometimes he disguises himself, Paul says, as an angel of light in an attempt to deceive you into wrongdoing. Dude, sometimes the devil doesn't roll up on you with a pitchfork and devil horns. Sometimes the devil rolls up on you looking like Mr. Rogers in a sweater vest with a cheesecake, knocking on your door and ringing your bell, talking about won't you be my neighbor and won't you be my friend. And he says all the right stuff and it sounds good and it makes sense and it seems logical. And he doesn't come necessarily to destroy but to deceive. And so Peter says, here's the deal, man. Just as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we're not to be unaware of the devil's schemes. If you want to be effective in ministry, the sixth principle is remember that you're in a spiritual war yourself. Know your enemy, know the truth, and be willing to wage the war. One of my favorite verses in the scripture is Psalm 144.1 where King David says, Blessed be the Lord my rock. He prepares my hands for battle and he trains my fingers for war. Now David was a man who engaged in physical war, but I absolutely believe there's spiritual application to that. I need to recognize every day when I wake up in the morning that Christianity is not a cruise on a yacht sitting out in the sun and soaking in the rays. It's a warship. And that's what we're on, and that's what we'll continue to be on, and that's what we need to stay on until the Lord comes back. Peter says, if you want to do ministry effectively, remember that you're in a spiritual war. Verse 10. But the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So seventhly, Peter says, and I believe that this is the most important one, man, you can't do anything else without this one. Seventhly, Peter says, if you want to do ministry effectively, do it in the power of God's grace. If you want to do ministry effectively, you do it in the power of God's grace. You're not going to be able to do, I'm not going to be able to do, we're not going to be able to do any of the things that Peter has previously prescribed unless we do it in the power of God's grace. Now, Peter knows this from personal experience. We have to remember who Peter is. Peter was a knucklehead during his earthly ministry, during Jesus' earthly ministry, excuse me. Peter fell asleep when he was supposed to be praying. Peter is the same one who denied the Lord three times, just like Jesus said that he would. Peter was impulsive and reactionary. We could say that he had foot-in-the-mouth disease. There's even a certain point during the Gospels where Jesus has to turn around and say, Peter, get behind me, Satan. You don't have God's interests in mind but man's. Literally, Peter's Lord turned around and rebuked him, and not only rebuked him, but literally called him Satan. So Peter said and did some crazy stuff during his earthly ministry. And so if anybody understands their need as they do ministry for God's grace, man, Peter is the one most qualified to speak. This dude is a straight knucklehead, man. Peter says, here's the deal. This is the deal and this is what I learned. The only thing that's going to help us persevere through trials, through difficulty, through discouragement, and even the shortcomings of our own sin as we navigate through ministry, it's God's grace. You won't be able to do any of this stuff without it. So if you're a leader in God's kingdom, and you are, if you claim the name of Christ, do everything that you do, lead 
in the way that God would have you to lead, but do it in the power of God's grace. You need it every day, I need it every day, we need it every day. If we tell ourselves anything different, we're lying to ourselves. Lord, have mercy on me and help me with my shortcomings and help me when I drop the ball and thank you for your forgiveness and thank you for working with me and thank you for walking with me and thank you for not giving up on me. Man, you gotta do it. If you're gonna do it, you gotta do it in the power of God's grace. Verse 12, let's close it up. By Sylvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. She who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you, and so does Mark my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus, amen. Very quickly, I'm not gonna talk too much about Sylvanus and uh, John Mark, uh, but very quickly, Sylvanus was apparently a Christian who delivered uh, Pete's letter that he penned here. Uh, she who is in Babylon, there's a lot of different commentators uh, who are divided on this issue. They don't know exactly what this is a reference to. Uh, many think that it might be a reference to Christians at the time living in the world but weren't of the world, but we can't really know for sure. I think that that's the best speculation. And Mark, who's mentioned here, may be the gospel writer who Peter considered to be a spiritual son. Now, we don't know everything for certain, but these are some of the speculations. Nevertheless, Peter closes the letter saying, man, take off that mask and kiss somebody in the Lord. No, he doesn't say that. But he does say, <laughs> somebody caught that. But he does say, man, greet one another with a kiss of love. Love each other, man, in the Lord. Be part of the family of God. Don't See yourselves as superior, don't see yourselves as better than, love each other, be in the family of God, love one another, kiss one another, do all that affectionate stuff that you're supposed to do. Now, as we're closing, I have to point out that there's sort of a tension in this chapter about how to be effective leader in God's kingdom. There's a balance, if you will. In one sense, Peter is encouraging us to walk in the authority that God has given to us. But in another sense, Peter is reminding us that, man, at the end of the day, you're just a sinner saved by grace. It's all you are. It's all we are. And we need to be reminded that it's who we are and who we always will be. In one sense, he's reminding us that we may be over a flock. But in another sense, he's reminding us that we're part of the flock. In one sense, he's reminding us that we're shepherds, but in another sense, he's telling us, listen, man, there's really only one great shepherd and you're still a sheep at the end of the day. Now this balance, I believe, is important to understand if we wanna be effective leaders in the kingdom of God. Because if we do not learn how to do both of these roles, we will not be effective in the kingdom of God. Why is that? Because if as a leader in the kingdom of God, all you are is above the congregation or above the sheep or above the flock, then you're just gonna come off as a tyrannical dictator and nobody's gonna listen to anything that you have to say. What does Paul say in 1 Corinthians chapter 13? He says, if I have wisdom, but I have not love, I'm a sounding gong, I'm a clanging cymbal, in other words, I'm just making noise for the sake of making noise and nobody's really listening to anything that they're saying because 
you've got an attitude of superiority. If you've got an attitude of superiority and you're floating around in the holy hemisphere and you're looking down on the sheep and you're whipping the sheep and you're driving the sheep and you're saying, man, you gotta get like me, guess what? You're not gonna be effective in the kingdom of God because nobody's gonna relate to what you're talking about. They're gonna think that their relationship with the Lord is based on a works mentality and oh, he's better than me and I'm too far gone and there's no way. But if I'm just a sinner saved by grace, and trust me, me personally am a sinner saved by grace, man, people can look at me and say, dude, if God can do it for that guy, he certainly can do it for me. That's got to be the goal, man. People have to look at our lives and see the grace of God working in our lives on a daily basis. So if you want to be an effective leader, you have to learn to do both. If all you are is above, but you're not among, you're not going to be effective because nobody's gonna hear what you have to say. But the flip side of the coin is this. If all you are as a leader in God's kingdom is among, but not above, and I hate to use the word above because we're not above anybody, but for lack of a better term, I'm talking about a position of authority. If all you are is among, but not above, and you don't walk in authority that God has clearly given to you, then you're gonna develop this attitude when people are running around doing things that they ought not, of, oh, well, it's not really my business and I shouldn't say anything and, well, God's grace will work in his life and you're not gonna walk in the authority, man. We're supposed to convince, we're supposed to rebuke, we're supposed to admonish, we're supposed to exhort, we're supposed to hold accountable. And so I've gotta walk in the authority that God has given to me. And so there's got to be this balance between the two. I've got to learn to be and to do both if I wanna be an effective leader in God's kingdom. I've got to lead, I've got to step up to the plate, I've got to do it by example, and I have to walk in the authority that God has given to me and not be ashamed or embarrassed about and not be apologizing for it, but at the same time I need to remember, I need to be reminded, Lord, at the end of the day, you're the shepherd and I'm the sheep and anybody that you've entrusted to your care is only to my care is only because of your grace and I take this responsibility very seriously and I realize that I'm no different than the rest of them. So Peter says, here's the deal as we close. If you're gonna serve as a leader in God's kingdom, learn to be balanced. Take the authority, walk in humility, but only do it by the power of God's grace.